Good morning. Last week, Pastor Matthew finished the sermon series, Dusk, Dark, Dawn, Day. And so today we begin a new one called Ordinary Times, in which we turn to the lectionary. So for the next four weeks, we will enjoy reading texts that many other worshiping communities are using too, trusting that we will meet God in new ways there. So friends, please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our reading today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 10. Listen now for the word of God. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time Saul was king over us. It was you who led out Israel and brought her in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. David occupied the stronghold and named it the City of David. David built the city all around from the Milo inwards, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. This is the word of the Lord. On this flag-waving day in America, we read about a flag-waving day for ancient Israel. This is the moment David becomes king. Israel is united under God's anointed one, a man, we are told, after God's own heart. It would have been a day something like this one, a day of national pride and the ancient versions of flag-waving and anthem-playing. With only this snapshot, the story seems simple. David handpicked, God handpicked David to be king. All of Israel rejoiced, and David became, our text says, greater and greater because God was with him. The difficulty is that this is indeed a snapshot, which is not to say it is false, but only that it tells one part of the story in one particular way. If there's one thing the past few years in this country have taught us, it's that the story we tell, the part of the story we tell, the way we choose to tell it, matters deeply. When getting clicks rather than telling the truth is the motivation behind how articles are written and internet algorithms are deciding which news stories are fed to us in the first place and all those dynamics contribute to a radicalized, polarized nation, we are reminded that the stories we tell matter. As we live into this time that some have called a post-truth era, and as it becomes clear that across party lines we're no longer simply responding differently to the same story, but telling different stories entirely, we're reminded that the stories we tell matter. And on this holiday, July 4th, when our divisions regarding what America has been, is, and should be can be most visible, we are reminded how much the stories we tell 
matter. For the stories we tell can define us, the way we see one another, the way we treat one another. Stories can manipulate us or stories can enlighten us. Stories can deceive us or stories can convict us and transform us with their truth. The stories we tell matter. If we are to build a world with more honest stories, stories that, however hard to tell, can ultimately bring healing because they are true, the first step is to ask ourselves, how is it we tell our own stories? For example, how do we tell the stories of our faith? How do we tell the story of King David? Will we stop at the flag-waving snapshot? Or do we have the courage to look deeper? One day in my biblical history and ideas class, my professor passed out a list of all the things scripture said David has done. And he asked us, so was David a good king? Before even looking at the list, some of us felt the impulse to answer, yes, the king chosen by God, the shepherd boy who through immense courage and faith defeats Goliath, the man after God's own heart, surely not just a good king, the best king. But our professor urged us to really study the list. Was David a good king? I looked down and read, and I was reminded of the other parts of the story. Like the time that David glimpsed Bathsheba bathing and took her for her, himself like she was a thing to be claimed and had. And that time when in an attempt to cover up that wrong, David sent her to be with her husband so no one would link her pregnancy to him. And how when that plan failed, David sent her husband to the front lines of battle to die. Was David a good king? If we were given this snapshot, we might be asking, was David a good person? The more we wrestle with how to tell the story of King David, the more complex things get. In a tone that couldn't be more different from our second Samuel reading this morning, 1 Samuel tells us that God never wanted Israel to have a king in the first place. God views the people's desire for a king as a rejection of God, a betrayal, a privileging of national strength over loyalty to God. Through Samuel, God warns the people what will transpire under a king. Your king will take from you, Samuel says. Your king will take your sons and take your daughters, the best of your fields and the best of your flocks. Your king will even take your life, for he will, t for he will tell you what to do and what you can be. And when that day comes, Samuel says, you will cry out to the Lord, but the Lord will not answer you. It's a powerful warning. A broader look at scripture reminds us that the kingship was so at odds with God's will for Israel that the line of prophets developed in tandem with the kings. As in, there started to be prophets in Israel because there were kings. As in, the way concentrated power so easily and so fully corrupts required that as soon as there was a king in power, God needed people speaking truth to that power, the prophets. So return to today's reading in light of all of this. The God who chose David to be king never wanted a king at all. And the warning Samuel issues about how kings will take and abuse comes to pass in David's own actions. What story shall we tell? 
And how shall we tell it? The temptation is to pick one side of the story. David was either God's beloved or an abuser of power. We aren't fond of complexity and nuance. We tend to want perfectly laudable heroes or perfectly condemnable villains, particularly when the story of a laudable hero or a condemnable villain benefits our own interests. But I'm struck by the deep wisdom I encounter when I consider that the writers and editors of these texts across the centuries were asking the same question we are. With us, they asked, what story shall we tell and how shall we tell it? With us, they felt the temptation to tell the narrative that served their own interests. But apparently, they felt called to do something brave, to tell a complex story, a fuller story, a harder story to tell, a story full of conflicting moments, the story of a man God loved who did terrible things, the story of a man who was made king over a people but was called to be a shepherd of those people, the story of a man called to be a shepherd who chose to act like a king. When we encounter scripture in its fullness and have the courage to wrestle with its complexity, we encounter something beautiful. Our sacred texts themselves push back on our own temptation to tell simple, one-sided, self-serving narratives. Even beyond the stories about the kingship and David, the collection of texts that make up our Bible contain contradictory stories, differing versions, and of opposing viewpoints. To name just a few, we have two creation stories, four gospels, and two different narratives of how Israel claimed the promised land. And while some people try to ignore or obscure that reality, and others try to use it to discredit the Bible, I say thank God. Thank God our sacred texts hold a vision of unity that requires dialogue, unity that is built upon difference, a vision of truth that suggests it's found in wrestling with hard questions, struggling with complex realities, and hearing multiple sides of the story. It's a vision of truth that is self-consciously critical of simple, one-sided stories. What does all of this mean for us today, on July 4th, 2021? On this day every year, Americans tell a story of who we are, and there are multiple conflicting versions. In one version, we are the greatest nation on earth, chosen by God to be a light for the world. In the telling of this story, sometimes America is thought to be beyond reproach and worthy of something far too close to worship. But there are other versions of the story. The stories of America's Bathsheba moments of taking and abusing. The story of a country that was, as the Avett brothers sing, built on stolen land with stolen people. What story shall we tell? And how shall we tell it? The good news is that in God's love, we are free to tell the full story. We are free to tell it fully and to listen to the voices telling the parts we don't know well enough to tell ourselves. We are free to tell and hear the story in all its complexity, all its beauty, and all its pain. 
In God's love, we, not, we need not fear the stories of our failures. In God's love, we need not cling to an idolatrous and false narrative of an infallible nation. In God's love, we need not fear prophetic voices who name our transgressions and call us to repent. For in Christ, we are free to tell the whole story. Trusting that in God's grace, we will know forgiveness. In God's mercy, we will know redemption. Trusting that in God's love, we will live into what is good and beautiful about this country all the more fully. For the ideals of liberty, democracy, equality, human rights, and the precious worth of every life, which represent the best of us. These things are only deepened when we recognize that they are rooted in God's love for every person, every nation, and all of creation. As I've been studying David, I've wondered what it meant that he was called a man after God's own heart. I've come to believe it ultimately had to do with his willingness to surrender to the redemptive grace of God. Psalm 151, no, Psalm 51 is a psalm attributed to David. And our tradition says it is his response to being confronted by the prophet Nathan, who awakens David to the weight of his sin. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. When confronted by a prophetic voice that named his sin, David heard the full story. And in doing so, he was restored in his relationship with God. Friends, to live as a people who know and trust the forgiveness and grace of a merciful God is to be a people who are not afraid of the full story. It's to be a people willing, like David, confronted by Nathan, to hear the truth, to tell the truth, and to be transformed by the truth. By God's grace, may we live as such a people. Amen.